I love it. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Well, certainly it's good to be here with you today and, and um, share, share God's Word. I want to share a, a story with you right off the bat, and I've said this to some, some people, I think. Um, but uh, when I was in seminary and I would, I would uh, visit this old boy, the first time I met him, he was 101 years old and still had two cows that he was taking care of on his farm. Can you imagine? And, and, uh, and throughout our time together, I would stop and see him quite often because I drove right by his house, his farm, uh, to uh, go to seminary. So I would uh, stop in and see him at least once or twice a, a month because he was just um, a dear friend. He became a dear friend of ours. His name was Ira Lambert. He lived to be 107. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, it was great. Um, he was just a great guy, and he was... He was a, a, one of those people that we know as a solid Christian. Because every time we got together, he would tell me stories about Jesus, you know. And so one day as uh, we were getting done, I said to him, I said, uh, um, I said, oh, I got to tell you about, he was hard of hearing. He was hard of hearing. He couldn't hear anything. And every time that I would go, he would say to me, can you change my batteries in my hearing aid? And I said, sure. So it took me about two or three months, but I realized that those batteries were like 10 years old. <laughs> and they were all dead to begin with, you know. And I've put dead batteries in dead in, uh, things. And so I, uh, I took um, his box with me and I told him I'd bring it back. And I got, we got him some new hearing aids and uh, batteries. And, and uh, the next time I went, he had me change them. And he put them in. And he says, oh, gosh, what is that? <laughs> I can hear. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate... Well, uh, as I, I, it was our last time together, and I said to Ira, I said, Ira, this is my last time to be with you. I just can't believe how quick these four years have went by. So he said to me, we were chatting, and then he said to me um, off the cuff, he said, by the way, if you think um, time is going fast now, wait till you hit 86. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, at 86, uh, time really started to go quickly for him. And I said, well, I've heard that it goes... Um, faster the older you get, you know. And he says, he said, I said to him, I said, what happened at 86 that everything started going fast for you? And he said, well, I got married for the first time. <laughs> and he said, the only reason I married the woman was because my brother, who was 89, was going to marry her, and I didn't want him to marry her. So I went over and married her. And she lived on the farm that butted up against his farm. So, and she had never been married before, neither. And she was blind. She couldn't see for anything. So they made quite a pair <laughs> but he was just a great guy. And it, it, it's all about, you know, today we're talking about that Abraham um, having this baby, Isaac. So I looked at him and I said, hey, by the way, did you and your wife have any children? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, you know, I've read about that, but it wasn't us. <laughs> I love it. He was a character. He was a character. Well, today we're going to talk about Hagar and Ishmael. Um, minor, major players in the story of God's Word. Um, I don't know if you remember Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant singing the song El Shaddai. Do you remember that song, El Shaddai? Back in the 80s, I think it was. There's a line in it that it goes, To the outcast on her knees. To the outcast on her knees. And, and the song is talking about Hagar there. You became the God who sees. You became that God who sees. To her, she was in the desert, trapped in the desert, 
in, in Genesis chapter 16. We're in Genesis chapter 21 today. But in Genesis chapter 20 or 16, she runs away from, from uh, Sarah because Sarah's not being nice to her. And, um, and um, she runs out into the desert and she's out there um, crying and weeping uh, because of her journey. And it's in verse 13. Is the verse I wanted to focus on today. So Haggai, Haggai called, uh, um, not who is it? Hagar, uh, uh, cried out to the Lord who spoke to her. And the God who sees. Wait, that's not right. So she called to the Lord who spoke to her. There, I got it. She called to the Lord who spoke to her and called him the God who sees. For she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. And that's what I want us to focus on today. That verse that says, um, the God who sees, sees me the way I really am. God sees us, my friends. He sees us. And, and I want you to hear that today as we go through this time. This is the word of God for all of his people. Amen? Thanks be to God. Yeah, praise God. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we can come and, and worship you in our songs and in our praise and in our prayers and our worship, just being together. Thank you for your word that will always challenge us, we pray. May we open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to what you'd have to say to us today. And then, may we do the best thing possible, respond to that word and leave this place changed to go and be your servant a little bit better and a little bit more. We um, pray that you'd be with your servant today, too, that his words might be your words. We pray this in your heavenly um, son's name, Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior today. And all of God's children said, Amen. So we come to chapter 21, and things have changed, you know. Um, Sarah has given a birth to, to Isaac, and, um, and now Ishmael is probably 13 or 14 years old. Um, he's a young man, a young teenager, and, um, and, and they have a party for, for um, Isaac as he gets weaned off of his mom's breast. And, uh, and they have this party always for every child like that. Uh, and, uh, and at the party, Ishmael was doing probably the first account of bullying. Ishmael was bullying Isaac. Sarah sees it. Sarah sees this. And, um, and she's not happy. She's not happy, and she goes to Abraham and says, you better get rid of her, and I mean right now. <laughs> That's what he says, and she says to him, you know. She says, get that woman and that child out of here. Now, you have to understand how important this is. In their tradition back then, it wasn't Isaac that was first in line. It was Ishmael. Okay, he was going to inherit everything from Abraham, not Isaac legally in their system and so she says I'm, I'm going to do a couple things here she says I'm going to get rid of this guy this kid who's he, she literally says he will not be your heir and she says I want you Abraham to get rid of that guy and I think and his mom too and I think um, Abraham might have been just a little bit scared sort of like me you know just a little bit scared of Sarah <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Because everything that she ever said, if you listen to it, and she doesn't say very much, but everything that she says, he did. 
So it was against, it was terrible for him to have to say to his son and to his mother, um, not his wife, but his son's mother, he had to say to her, you guys got to go. Here's your water, take off. And get out into the desert. And so we find Sarah in, or Hagar in the desert again. A desert in the desert again. And, and things are not going well. But both times she's in the desert, God comes to her and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I'm, I'm with you and things are going to be okay. So I thought about that and, and um, I've been pondering this for a couple of weeks, you know, and, and I thought, what does that mean for us? And I don't know about you, but I think we've all been in that desert time, haven't we? When we're out, uh, when it seems like we're an outcast, we just don't connect with people. Um, we don't connect with uh, our family. We don't connect with our spouses. We don't connect with our kids. We just seem like we're out in the desert all by ourselves, and nobody cares. Well, what I, share with you, what I want to share with you today is this. God cares, and God sees where you're at in your desert time, okay? In that place where, where it just seems like, oh, I don't know if it can get any worse than it already is. And, and, um, and uh, in our families today, it seems like that happens a lot. I mean, Abraham's family... Talk about dysfunctional, huh? I mean to tell you, it's crazy. But um, and through the whole process, there's this promise looming over everything, okay? So let me share three things with you this morning that I think is important for us to grab a hold of so that we can move, move what, even while we're in the desert. You have to know that Hagar and Ishmael never left the desert. Never left the desert. They stayed right there. He got, the mom got him a wife from Egypt, and they just stayed there, and he had 12 kids. And, and we know that, uh, you know, even... It's really... He, Ishmael and Hagar are minor, minor people in the story and the gospel of Christ, but yet they're major people. It's really strange. You know, we think we're, we don't amount to anything, but God sees us when we are at our lowest point. And here he says to Ishmael and Hagar, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. So he gives him 12 sons, one daughter. Boy, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> gives him 12 sons, and Hagar, um, Ishmael becomes um, um, that father of, of Islam, related to Muhammad. They go to take him back there. Islam does not see Isaac as the, the firstborn. Islam sees I, uh, Ishmael as the firstborn. Okay? They, that's, and that's the way it is. So we wonder why there's all this battling going on. Amen? And it goes there. Well, in the midst of everything that's going on in our lives, and what happened with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael is that God had made a promise. And I want you to know one thing right off the bat, that God, even though he makes the promises to us, it doesn't eliminate the problems. Some of us think, and many people, many people that I have talked to have come to church, have come to um, 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 uh, be in a community when they're in crisis, when there's things going on in their life, when they're in the desert. They come to church and thinking that everything will be fine. And then when they come and find out that everything isn't fine, they still have their same struggles, guess where they're at? Well, I don't need to go to church. I can handle this at home. 
They quit coming to church because, you know, once we go to God, aren't we supposed to, isn't everything supposed to be hunky-dory? Huh? It's supposed to be, isn't it? I don't read that in God's Word. As a matter of fact, I read just the opposite. Jesus says, once, once you believe in me, you'll have more problems than you ever had before. Because Satan is going to come and attack you and try to destroy you and take you away from me. Amen? It's crazy. Um, we need to understand that, uh, that just because um, Abraham had this promise um, didn't mean that there was going to be issues in his life, problems in his life, concerns that he would have to have all the time. And when I talk about um, dysfunctional, you know, you know, Abraham should have stood up for his son. Shouldn't he? His son shouldn't have been such a mean, a mean person. And we'll talk about that in, in, a, in a little bit. But he was a bully. Spoiled little brat, probably. Who knows, you know? Um, because the first ten years, um, they probably thought, okay, he's it. <laughs> and then, you know, remember Sarah and Abraham went to the beach last week. Had a nice night out, remember? <laughs> Sarah, you know, of all the people, Sarah should have been a little more understanding. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Hagar? She's saying, you know, I remember about 14 years ago, you guys came to me and said, hey, we got a great plan. And now all of a sudden everything's going crazy. You know, now the person that you needed, you're throwing away. Hagar probably thought, what the heck? You know, talk about dysfunctional, huh? Can, we, can you see it today? It happens here. Um, what, I guess what I'm trying to say to you this morning, what I got here, hear God saying to us is, God makes tremendous promises to you and I. Once we come into that fold of being what's called that Christian, that disciple, once we believe in Christ, he says, I'm going to give you some, some promises that are just unbelievable. Uh, and, and instead of that happening, life continues to be on the same path. Crazy. Dysfunctional. God, God promises you and I great and precious promises. Great and precious movements in our lives and, and things that we can grab a hold of and yet we still have problems. He promises us joy and peace and abundance. And I don't know about you, but that, that never seems to happen all the time. And most of us, when we mention the word joy, are thinking happiness. I always want to make the separation there. Happiness is what we want, and it's never there for very long. Joy is that joy he's talking about. That I want to give you that joy in your heart that you know that no matter what happens, everything's okay. Paul said, I've learned the secret. Hmm. He wants us... He want, one of the greatest problems today is the Satan attacking the marriage. And he wants us to, to know that he's made a promise that he'll be with us in our relationships. And I don't know about you, but there's more conflict than ever in family units and family people who are together. I know in our family, um, I met, a, I met my, my cousin one time in a hospital in Maslin. I was with, there with some other people and I I met her. I didn't know it was her. She came in and we smiled at each other and she sat down in the chair and my friend went off to surgery and so I was walking out with his wife and she looked up at me and she said, you're just going to walk by. And I said, well, I guess not. And she said, you don't know me, do you? And I said, no. I said, no, I don't know you. And she says, well, I'm your, your cousin, your uncle, um, 
is my, your, my, I can't remember his name, but it was my mother's brother. Uh, was my mom and dad. I said, oh, okay. And then she proceeded to talk to me and said a little bit, you know, and then she said, you ought to come to the family reunion. Now, the last time I was at the family reunion, there was physical fights. So I'm thinking, no, I don't want to come to the family reunion. So she said to me, she said, you should come because we don't fight nearly as much. I said, praise God. Isn't it fun? I love our family. It's great. I had a friend from Cuba. He was in the, all the years that I knew him, he always, every year he signed up for the lottery to be chosen to be allowed to leave Cuba. They have a lottery every year that so many families can leave Cuba if they you have to put, you have to sign up for it. So it's obvious you want to go. Well, I think it was the last year that um, I was in Cuba. He, uh, he said to me, I said, uh, did you put your name in for the lottery? And he said, yes, and I won. I said, what? He said, yeah, I won. I said, and he had a lovely wife and, and two great kids, um, teenagers. And he said, we're moving to somewhere around Miami, which was where everybody moved to, you know. Um, it was it's just a crazy area. So I, I don't know where it was at. It was some meeting, and it was in Columbus. We were at a meeting, and it was for um, international um, uh, missionary work. I met him there. Out of the blue, I didn't know he was going there, and, uh, and he didn't know I was coming, and, and we were staying in the same hotel, and, and we just had a very good time because we'd spent 12 years, 12 years together. And, um, and uh, I said to him, I said, how's everything going? He says, well, he said, I got to tell you, Pastor. He said, when we moved to the United States, we thought everything would be perfect. We wouldn't have to worry about anything anymore. He says, it's just as bad here as it was in Cuba. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, that's the truth, isn't it? And he said, well, I, I thought it was going to be better, but, but I'm holding on to the promise that God said everything's good. And he's, he just went that way with it. It was great. In the midst of everything going on in your life, we need to understand that God's promises are still alive. That's hard to um, picture when you're in the desert, isn't it? When you're in that depression, when you're in that uh, uh, I'm all alone mentality. Well, I think, uh, I think it helps us to understand the second thing I want to share with you. That even though the promises don't eliminate the problems, it's your tears. It's your tears that matter to God. It's your tears that matter in heaven. It's your tears. Now, if you listen to the story real close in chapter 16, she's crying. She's crying because she had to run away. She chose to run away. In chapter 21, she's crying, Ishmael's crying, and they're crying because they are about to die. Abraham didn't even give them enough water to make it, uh, probably, but a couple months. And all of a sudden, they're done. They're done. She actually throws him under a bush and says, you stay here, and she walks away about the, it says, the shot of um, a bow. Maybe 100 yards, I suppose, unless you're better than that. And he's over there crying, and she's over here crying. And God hears the tears. And an angel comes and says, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. 
Now, here's the thing I want us to hear in this story this morning. If you listen to it close, the angel says, God has heard the tears of Ishmael. Now, that's really important for me. God hears the tears, he said, of Ishmael, and because of that, I'm here to help. I don't know why Ishmael was crying. It doesn't matter. You know, probably he was crying because, oh boy, I got us in a lot of trouble. You know what I mean? If I wouldn't have been such a dummy, we wouldn't be here. Now maybe he's crying, well, if my mother would have been more strong, I wouldn't be here. You know, he's probably making up every excuse in the world for the fact that he's going to die in the desert with his mother and be done. Or he might be crying and saying, oh, Lord, forgive me that I'm a bully. Forgive me that I wanted my own way. Forgive me that I got my mother here. Who knows why I was crying. But the fact of the matter is, is this. And it's so important for us to hear. Hear God's word. That the Lord sent the angel to Ishmael and Hagar. And he went over to Hagar and he said, go get your son. Quit fooling around because God has heard his tears. Later on, you know, in God's word, we see in Exodus what? He hears the tears of the, the people trapped in bondage, the nation, hears their cries. I, I think this is um, more important for us to understand today than we'll ever imagine. Because, you know, what Hagar was probably praying, oh, Lord, I, here I am again in the desert. You know, I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how I got here. It's just crazy. I'm sorry I did all that. Who knows why she was crying? Maybe she was crying because her son's going to die. Who knows the reason she's crying? But the Lord um, says to her, go get your son. Everything's going to be okay. Because God has heard his tears. So it's 50 years ago. Can you imagine? 50 years ago. 50 years ago, Phyllis Ann and I had this, have this friend. They're still around. Um, Lois and Don Gray. 50 years ago, Lois... Um, um, was awakened three times in, in this last year. Right now, 50 years ago, in this last year, uh, up to September, she has been awakened three times. She's been awakened three times to go and, and pray. Pray for somebody she doesn't like. Somebody she had told them that two years or three years before, she said, don't ever come back to my house. <laughs> Okay, And God wakes her up three times and says, I need you to pray. I need you to pray for this person. And she said, it wasn't just a simple prayer. I, I remember her telling us a story. She said, it wasn't a simple prayer. I came down and she showed us the couch and the big picture window, you know, the glass window that looked out over the farmland there. And she said, I sat there and cried for hours. Cried for hours that God would take care of you. She was praying for me. Okay. Three times she did that. Three times in that last year that I was a drug addict, guess what I did? I overdosed three times. Died with a needle in my arm. Died with that needle in my arm. I, and three times I woke up, took the needle out, and put another needle in. It was crazy. Three times. And now I don't know if those three times that God woke her up and had her pray for me, not just prayers. Here's this woman praying for this guy that she doesn't, doesn't like. Nobody liked him. You know what I mean? It was, 
And, and she said, I just wept my eyes out. I cried and cried and cried that God would take care of you. Do you get the point, friends? You see, it's not us crying to God so much all the time in our depression, in our anxiety. It's us getting our eyes off of our own self and getting our eyes someplace else that God hears that. God hears us when we, when we open ourselves up to him and say, okay, you know, I, I, I don't know who it is or what it is, but I'm going to pray for them and then really pray for them. I was, I was sitting on the, I was laying on the, Myrna, you remember that table they put you on? For me, it was just, a, it was like the six-inch table, Jim, that was real long. And it was stainless steel and it was cold. And, and I was laying there and I, I laid there for over an hour because the guy next door having the hard cath wasn't doing well. So I'm praying for him, praying for... And Jesus is sitting beside of me. Remember Ira Lambert? One time he told me a story about... He was hanging upside down. His job in his life was to put a... a build, he was a barn builder. And he was the one who put the highest beam in. And he always had a rope stuck to his leg... And, and he was up there one night, he said, by himself, because everybody else had went home. And he fell off the barn. And so he's dangling in the, in the air with this rope on his ankle. And he said, I'm standing there, ta- stang- I'm dangling there, talking to Jesus. And the problem was, it was Jesus was upside down. I said, what do you mean? Well, he was standing up, I was dangling. <laughs> well, that's what happened to me, um, I think it was, whatever day it was. I'm laying on this table, waiting for everything, and I'm talking. Jesus is sitting right beside me. He wasn't upside down. I kept looking over at him. We were talking and chatting. Every once in a while, they'd run over. Did you say something? And I said, Yeah, I was talking to the guy sitting here, you know. And they're looking at me like, Okay, we'll be over in a minute. Trust me. <laughs> but I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to Ishmael for some reason, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Opened his heart up to God, and God heard him. God heard Lois Gray praying for this person who needed to be, be prayed for. Amen? I wasn't praying for Floyd. I didn't even know what praying for Floyd meant. But somebody did. Praise God. And it was, uh, I think it was that same year that I ended up at her house. And, and she opened up her door and, I, and probably looked at me and said, Oh my goodness. But when she opened up her door, there was this, there was this power that came out of their friends. And um, they welcomed me and did all kinds of things you don't even want to know about. (laughs) But it was a great time. Um, God wants us in the midst, listen, in the midst of our desert time, in the midst of our depression, our anxiety, whatever it may be, he wants us to cry out to him, not only for ourselves, but for somebody else. Amen? Do you get that? That's what, I think that's the most powerful part of this message. Well, maybe not. Because the third thing that I want to share with you it comes along real good too. It's in the desert time. In that time when we're, we feel the most loneliness that God intervenes, intervenes and shows us the answer to our problems. If we're willing to look to the God who sees. You have to read this story. So she gets up and she goes over and gets Ishmael. And when she turns around, guess what's sitting there? A well of water. Now I got to tell you, that well just didn't appear. I'm sorry. 
I believe she put Ishmael under that thing and walked a hundred yards away from him. And on the way walking away from him, she passed the well. Do you know how I know that? Or believe that? I don't know if I know it or not, but how I believe that. Did anybody ever be in a hurry to leave your house? You got to make an appointment. And then all of a sudden, where's the car keys? Anybody there with me? Are you, you know, you can't, they were right here. They even, they even make a machine now, a thing that you can, you can um, put on your keys and push another button and it tells you where your keys are at, right? Right? Well, I'd lose the thing that you need to push. I couldn't find it. Well, I know it's around here somewhere, honey. <laughs> Phyllis Ann wanted to read something the other day with Claire and and she couldn't find her glasses. And it's, in a, it's always in a state of confusion. You know what I mean? It's, always, it's never in a state of, oh, well, I don't know where my keys are. Who cares? You know? No, I need my keys. Phyllis Ann needed her glasses to see, you know. And they couldn't find it. Claire's looking all over the place for them. Phyllis was looking all over the place for them. And finally, Claire looks at Grandma and says, Grandma, they're in your shirt pocket. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I would have said, I'm just testing you, Claire, to see if you're looking. You know. But I lose, I lose, I don't know about you, but I lose everything. I can't find anything. And then all of a sudden, when I just calm down, when you calm down and you think about it, all of a sudden, there it is. And I think that's what God did with Ishmael and Hagar. And I think that's what he does with us. In our loneliest times, he says, I know you can't see, but I can. And that's the most important thing for us to understand, that in the midst of everything going on in our lives, God can see the things we can't see that will take care of our depression, of our anxiety, of our our confusion, of our desert time. That well was there. And the solution is always there for us. But we have to quit trying plan B. You know, I've been trying Plan B to get out of, out of, uh, into financial security. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I, I, I I would love to have enough money to buy Claire a car. And Phyllis Ann says, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And my Plan B is to play the lottery. After all, it helps the school, right? (laughs) Thank you, Dave. Thank you. The only trouble of it is I've been playing the lottery like ever since it came around and I knew about it. And then somebody told me you had to buy a ticket. And I said, well, the heck with that. If you've got to buy a ticket and they're making up rules, I'm not doing it. God is the solution. We don't need to look for alternate plans. Abraham, Sarah looked for alternate plans. They didn't need to. But through the process, God made two great families, didn't he? Even in the midst of everything going on, he will make what we thought was bad into something good. Just as he has done this pandemic, he has made it good for us. We have seen that the church is more than just in these four walls. Amen? Oh, my. I want to tell you, God has a plan for us. He has a promise for us. And he will make sure that we get there. It's up to us to stay faithful and open our eyes, open our hearts, and believe in the promise. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for that, that great assurance today that in our desert times, in our desert times, whatever it may be, maybe it's because our car's gone on the blink. Who knows? 
Maybe it's because we have family problems. Maybe it's because we have marriage problems or financial problems or, or um, whatever it may be, Lord. The desert that we're in, help us. Help us as your children to know that you're there. Help us to cry out for the needs of those around us and help us to see your solution is our prayer today. So we trust you for everything. Help us to trust you for our desert times. We pray this in your son's name and for his glory. And all of God's children said, Amen.